Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blom and photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Farms and Chefs, and I am very happy to introduce you to Patty Fitzpatrick, who is the current owner of the Talking Teacup, which is in Shellfront, PA. Yep. Patty, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. So as I got a little history um, while researching, this is not what you initially jumped into career-wise. So tell our listeners about your history and how you came about um, owning the, the the talking teacup. Sure. So um, I started going to the talking teacup many years ago, uh, about 20 years ago, um, uh, going through a divorce and met the owner. I was going there a lot. Um, it's like a little escape. You know, when you go to a tea house, you leave everything behind. You're going in there, you're going to relax. You're going to have really good different food just sip on your tea and think about the world, right? So I'm going through a divorce. The owner starts sitting down, talking to me, finding out we have a lot in common, uh, became friends. Um, and throughout the years, I waitressed there. I did her marketing. I was a graph designer and advertising. Um, so I helped her out with her marketing. And then um, she needed help here and there. I ended up being her manager, her kitchen manager. Um, and then unfortunately, she had to close due to terminal cancer. Um, at that time, I wasn't, I didn't have the means to buy the place. Um, step forward two or three years, we had the pandemic. Um, all the world shut down. And I wanted to open back up a place that gave me a place where I can reconnect with people and just be me. So um, I reached out to her husband who owned the property and I bought it. Um, So that's kind of where I'm at. Um, It's just a place where I want everybody to leave the outside world and come in, enjoy great new homemade food um, and just relax. And I feel like from what I garnered from the, your history that, yes, you did become involved prior to uh, in the p- previous owner, you know, may she rest in peace. And I know that you had a very strong friendship with her, Kathy, um, prior to you owning it, that history and that just your story of what you you two went through and the fact that you kind of bonded together over tea of all things, <laughs> And, you know, people sit down and they're like, well, what's the tea? And they mean like, you know, what's spill, spill the tea. Um, What, what are you talking about? It's kind of like you developed a friendship and a relationship and a rapport with her. And I'm assuming with her husband as well. Exactly. It's something I will cherish forever. She's truly missed, but it's, it, I never saw it coming to be honest. Um, But it's, it's a (laughs) gift that I have. Yeah. And I don't want to get you teary eyed because that's certainly not my my intention. Um, But I just kind of want our, you know, our listeners to know, like the history that that is involved with with owning this talking teacup. Um, You know, it's it has more levity when there's a history involved. And I mean, the building in in and of itself is very old, too, because it's it's what in the built in the 1700s little over 250 years. So yeah, <laughs> yeah 1761, I believe. And that's um, some strong bones for a building. It sure is. It sure is. Um, and I can imagine like what, what's, 
that the wall, if these walls could talk kind of moments, because obviously back in the day, I feel like tea was far more popular than coffee was. So it's probably the house is probably like, oh, we're going, we're circling back. If, if houses could talk, <laughs> we're so circling back to our historic, our history. Um, but, you know, Speaking of tea and speaking of like just sitting down and just enjoying a cup of tea, um, high tea and there's, you know, and whatnot. Why don't you let our listeners know, like, what is involved with with this building and with your business? Sure. Uh, so basically, um, a tea house, it's it's not your normal type. When some people think of a tea house or thinking they're just going to walk in like they would walk into Starbucks or another coffee shop. When you come into a tea house, you're actually coming in to have courses. So you're slowing your pace down and you're just enjoying not only the tea, but the food. So when they come in, they're seeing my take, which is different from the original tea house. I designed it for my look and feel. So you're coming into eclectic vintage, come to grandma's house type feel. Um, When you sit down, you have choices. The big thing is our Tessie High Tea. So that gives you everything. I make everything fresh and homemade. Did I go to school for it? I did not. I am self-taught. I like to play. I like to play with different flavors. So they're going to pick teas, which we pick the highest quality teas, loose leaf out there. We change our teas and our food with the seasons and the holidays. So it gives us a chance to kind of evolve as we grow with the flavors of the seasons. Trust me, this year, the butternut squash soup was better than last year. Um, So... um, with that, for the Tessie High Tea, which is the big one, it's five courses. So they're going to get scones. It's actually four courses. It's scones and tea first. Then they're going to get my soup and salad combo that come out in those old little soup and salad plates. They're adorable. Found them in a vintage shop. So um, they're going to get my homemade soup. They're going to get a salad that I put together with cool. my own dressing. And then the next course is their tea sandwiches. And then the la- the other course, the last one is our desserts. So everything is kind of made to go with that. Whole, like each one will have a flavor that was in that other course. Yeah. So it kind of keeps them going. And I mean, I know I've been, I've been to tea houses before. My mother is a huge tea drinker. So I kind of grew up being incorporated into the world of, of tea drinking. I didn't find out until I was 12 that I love coffee. So I've, you know, kind of switched over to coffee, but I still highly enjoy tea, especially when it's a good brew, like a strong brew. Um, I do love a good London fog. I'm sure that you, you know, have, have, and for our listeners, that's like a black tea with lavender and I, I take it with cream and sugar. So (laughs) Um, So, there is tea that you can put coffee in and it's a half, you can do half and half. So we actually have a few things on our uh, menu that is, there's one that is a black tea with coffee beans. And then the other one is a black tea with coffee beans and espresso. So we have an area since we're all tea, you cannot get any soda or juice or anything. It's all tea. The tea drink, the coffee drinkers that come in, they can get coffee, but it has to have tea in it. Gotcha. So we do that mix. So it's kind of different. So do you ever do like a dirty chai, like the espresso shot inside of chai tea? Yes. I, I have a friend who loves that. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. We call it the teacup espresso. Yeah. Can I chime in for one second? I have a, mm. well... First of all, I love your establishment. You're, I mean, you're not very far from where I live, and oh you know, I, I, 
I'm a Del Val grad. So, you know, I know the Chalfont area, that area really well. And, you know, so all those wonderful things, but your client base, and I, and I love the fact that you bring back with your own little touch, you know, the art of a tea. And I think it's very important. I think that every girl in her lifetime needs to go and have a tea party, uh, a real tea party, you know, not one with uh, plastic utensils in, in their house, but, you know, to experience that. And it's such a wonderful thing. Do you also incorporate into your food uh, some teas and such? One of the great experiences I had many years ago as a chef was when we had the coffee tea show in Philadelphia at the convention center and I took part, it was involved in creating a menu for a company that specialized in teas. And we did multiple courses at each one incorporated tea. So I had, you know, a one, uh, wonderful orange, uh, sorbet that we made with tea and just great things. And the best benefit is I get to, I got to keep tea for a long period of time that, you know, as long as I sealed it and kept it out of the sunlight and all that stuff. But do you cook with the tea as well? I do. I do. I have one scone. We call it the Earl Grey de la Creme scone. Um, I put tea in that. Um, and then I also use tea. I make tea syrups with the tea so I can use those syrups in any of my dressings to cakes, stuff like that, or I'll brew tea and put it in my soup. Mm. And and uh, just for Amaris, uh, tea, by the way, uh, if you take water out of the mix, yes. uh, tea is the number one drank beverage in the world. So Absolutely. Um, I'm going to give that you know high praise to the Asian culture for, you know, consumption of it, but still it's the number one, you know, in, in many parts of the world, other than Asia, it's still such a popular thing and something that people should enjoy. I mean, there's, you know, so many great flavors and, and wonderful characteristics of it and to be able to do what you do. Do you also plan or like if, uh, you know, a young girl wanted to have her 12th birthday party and have a tea party, do you do that type of small group catering and such? We do not actually cater to the children. We're more of an adult tea house. Okay. Um, that being said, um, there are other tea houses in the area that probably do cater to that, but it's just hard since we are more antique, vintage, um, slow sure. pace. Sure. Most children under 12 don't want to sit for 90 minutes. Um, I understand. So, Yes. So I cater to the inner child for us adults. Um, so that wouldn't be you and me, Ambrose. We're not that. <laughs> um, so unfortunately that's the only down for us is that it's, it's more 10 and older, 12 and older. So we don't really focus on birthday parties. It's more coming, reserving your table and having your own little time with your guests that are at your table. I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing because there's definitely a lot of uh, my friends who are, you know, with children who are younger that would probably give an arm and a leg to spend time yeah. without their kids and just to like have some downtime. And, and you know, it was a hard decision to make, trust me, but, it, you know, <clears throat> working hard every day and knowing for me, my own nephew would not have wanted at nine years old to sit at a tea house. He would prefer to be at Chuck E. Cheese. Right. So I wanted to give an area where all of us busy people could just go and just like I keep repeating, escape and but enjoy the flavors. Yes. 
Now, um, I know that in addition to the fact that you offer, you know, food and, and whatnot, that's incorporated into your, your high teas and your brunches. Um, you have on your website, you actually have different, uh, like an events calendar. Okay. And I think you have a speak tea easy or something. For working, that on that one. working on that one. It's still kind of in the works, but we do change our decor with the seasons and the holidays where that allows me to do special events. So Halloween, for instance, um, we changed that place around. You walk in and it does not look like the same tea house you went into a month before. It's a witch's lair. Um, <laughs> we make the menu and we pick the teas that go with the season and we have fun. So we have our witch's brew, which is two nights where women all or men come dressed as witches. We have um, tarot reading. We do witch trivia. The whole table looks like you're in your potions class. You bring your own booze. You make your own cocktails with tea syrups, tea. And then we go outside and we do the witches dance. Uh, nice. It's a great fun and night. It's it's sold out every year. Uh, we do our wicked tea party, expect the unexpected. We play spooky music. We try to scare you. We wear costumes. Um, and then there might be a mouse on your table. It's a friendly one. He'll come back to the kitchen with us later. Uh, body parts, the chef will get sewn back together later. That type of thing. We try to have fun. Um, and just make everybody feel like they're part of whatever our Wicked Tea Party is. Um, we're coming up with a lot of new events. Our Christmas in Tealand is very popular. So we, when we say redecorate, it's not just a mantle or one little thing. We're transformed. So yeah. we do a Mad Hatter Tea Party in June. I transform it. My staff is characters and we kind of act it out. So it's different. And I try to do food and tea based on each of those themes. Now, I know that you had stated like, you know, it's, it's not catering to a younger crowd, but can people like myself, like when my mother visits, you know, kind of set aside the, or reserve the entire, you know, room for a private event? Yes, we do do private events. We have, um, it's, it's a small place. I have one main dining room that fits 25 comfortable, 30 a little tight. I have a little side porch that we can do small two topper tables. Um, so when we do private events, they get the whole place. So they're getting my front room, which we call it the lounge, the main dining and that small porch area by themselves for three hours. And we kind of make sure that we work together to have that special event. And it's three hours. So you're private all to yourself. And it could be either our regular decorations or if it's during the holidays, you're getting the holiday decorations. Um, And it's fun. And we call them mingle teas. um, So you're not stuck sitting at a table. Because if you have 15 women or 25 women that you want to talk to, a course takes 90 minutes, three, four courses, you're not able to move. So we call it a mingle tea. So the porch is set up as a buffet and the rest of the place is all for you. So you can kind of just wander around and talk to each other. It's nice. That seems like a very like relaxing setting too. Yeah. Um, Now, I know you also have a shop attached to your tea house. We used to have a bigger shop, but as the world's been changing and things have been changing, I've slowly gotten rid of the gift shop. I have a very tiny space by my register. Um, that is our gift shop, but they can get their teas um, by just letting the waitress know and they'll pour them and get their bags ready for them. But it seems like a lot of people prefer to go online. It can be a little cheaper than us stores. You know, we have to put a little bit of, in, you know, we have to up our numbers just to make it back. 
but I wasn't seeing the gift shop as a revenue base. My food area was my revenue base. So I was yeah. able to gain more seating. Now, I know you also t- have taught in the past um, classes uh, with what you've accrued, what you've learned on your own. Um, you've taught classes on how to cook or how to create something. Do you still do that? I do not. Kathy and I started that. So um, her and I, as she was the owner of the business back before she closed, would talk about how she needed to enhance more or play more or change things. So she's like, let's just have a cooking class. So we were like Julia Childs together in the kitchen talking while other people were watching and tasting the food. Um, We ended that when she got sick and um, just wasn't something that I brought back. Because I added more, my kitchen's smaller. I needed more things to make the food that I wanted to make. And it was her encouraging via an email before she passed for me to go for it. Life's too short. Go for it. And she knew that I wanted to play with food and just create. So unfortunately, I don't know if I can get people back in that kitchen because I added extra things to make my life easy in there. I mean, that makes sense. But um, we we are going to run out of time soon. So sure. let our listeners know like what's brewing because obviously you had mentioned the holidays, you redecorate. Um, what's brewing over there for you for Thanksgiving? Sure. So we have our Friendsgiving weekend, which um, basically they're going to come and have a tea, but a little bit of Thanksgiving feel to it. I'm redecorating today and tomorrow for that. Um, And then come December 5th, we'll be all ready for Christmas. And then we'll be closed for the whole month of January for a winter break. I got to kind of refresh myself. And then we jump into Valentine's, St. Patty's, Easter, and then just regular everyday stuff. Um, So We just love changing up what everybody's going to get. So you never come back to the same thing over and over again. Yeah. It's something different. And that's wonderful. So let our listeners know where to find you online and in person. Sure. So they can find us at thetalkingteacup.com and they can find uh, the physical address is 301 West Butler Avenue in Chalfont, Pennsylvania. We're between Doylestown and Montgomeryville. All right. Patty, thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Have a great day. Thank you. All right. And we will be right back after the short break. To become a sponsor of Food Farms and Chefs and have your business or event promoted on two radio stations in Philadelphia that play on Tuesdays during Drive Time Radio and on a station in New York on Fridays at 1 p.m., you can email us at foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com, ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com, or arpolicus at gmail.com. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. And I am very happy to introduce all of you to Jake Rallo, who is the manager and I believe owner of Berrovino in Red Bank, New Jersey. Jake, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure being here with you all. So Jake, it, it is a great pleasure. There's so many unique things that we could talk about with your business, with you with everything going on. And so I'm going to give our listeners just a little bit of background of, you know, some of the wonderful things. Um, You know, when you talk about food, you're talking about food from truly an expert level. You grew up in, in the restaurant industry, but you know, you went on to certainly what is the best management. And I, I, I won't give it culinary school, but best 
hospitality management school in the country at Cornell University. But that wasn't enough. You even went on to become a teaching assistant while you were there, really giving, you know, a lot of accolades to your skill there to become a teaching uh, that. But then, you know, you come back and you work in the industry and you start this wonderful restaurant with uh, so many very cool things going on. But, you know, that's not enough. And, and you get really deeply involved in a great charity that we're going to talk about in a little bit um, called United Vines. So, you know, in a few, in a minute or two, share our listeners a little bit about when your passion became and what your, you know, early experience was in the kitchen and, and how it got you to where you are now. Sure, of course. And I, I just want to clarify, um, I don't own the restaurant. It's a family business. So my father, Victor Allo, um, he is the, the majority owner of Beer Vino and a few other restaurants located in Monmouth County, as well as one in Staten Island, New York, and a few opening shortly. <laughs> He's the, the mastermind behind it all. But like you said, I grew up in this industry, and I think a lot of people say that, oh, I grew up in restaurants. I grew up around food and beverage. I like to say it's in my blood. This building I'm sitting in has been in my family for 32 some odd years. My grandfather started this restaurant with my father. He passed when I was two, but for most of my upbringing, if I ever wanted to see my father, it was within these four walls, eating homemade pasta, dunking it into tomato sauce, and then dunking it into Parmesan cheese and then eating it. And that's kind of how I remember my childhood. And I think that cultivated my passion and my desire to learn how to cook and learn how to serve people and learn how to be hospitable. When I was in high school and even middle school, on the weekends, I never went out with friends. I wanted to be in the restaurants. I wanted to be cooking. I would be in garmage and helping plate up appetizers and desserts with one of our amazing employees. Her name is Berta. She still works here today. I think she's one of our first employees and she knew my grandfather. So that was my high school experience. And I knew I always had this innate passion to provide for others. How that kind of transpired, it took its course. I went to Cornell and clearly now I'm here, but I didn't know it was going to end up being in the hospitality industry. I had a great passion for theater as well, and I loved performing and making people happy in that element. But when I was looking through colleges with my parents, I have a twin brother. He's has a super academic oriented mind and super sciencey. So he knew what he wanted. And I was like, well, I can go theater or I can go culinary and business and kind of follow in dad's footsteps. That's been my dream. So I applied to Cornell kind of on a limb. Didn't think I was going to get in. I got in. It was four of the most amazing years of my life, four of the most hardest years of my life, four of the worst years of my life. It was a little bit of everything. And I think everyone's always like, oh, college was great, but no one has perfect experience every single day when they're there. Overall, it was incredible. And I just continued to fall in love with hospitality. I met so many people like me. I met people that challenged me and pushed me. I met people that respected me. And I was able to grow as a professional when I was at Cornell, kind of diving into food and wine, diving into the business side behind why I think it's like 60% of restaurants fail within um, the first year and all these crazy statistics and how you can become an outlier and how not to fail. And I saw my dad do it. And when I graduated, I kind of got trapped. I graduated from Cornell University with a 4.0 GPA and 
I had a business degree and I was like, okay, I should put this to use. So I got a job at Accenture, which is one of the biggest technology consulting firms in the world. I moved to Boston, started a whole new life there, kind of a, a new chapter, if you will. And I did not fall in love with that chapter. I think it took me about four months to recognize I wasn't following my passion. And I called my dad and I said, I'm coming home. I'm working for you. And one day I will be taking over. And that's kind of where we are now. I've done a lot of fun, exciting things in between that entire time period. But that's me. That's me in a nutshell. And now we're here. So one of the wonderful things about your restaurant, obviously, your you know your menu is is really pretty simple, um, you know, but it's authentic, it's real, it's fresh. Uh, you know, your pasta, as they say, Fado Amano, is uh, you know, made daily. It's it's you have great Italian machines that are you know making your pasta daily, and you have what you call the pasta lab. Yes. Can you explain to our listeners what you're referring to when you speak about the pasta lab? Sure. So Biravino back in its day was called Basil Tea's Brewery. So it was a brew pub. We actually made our own beers here on property. During COVID, someone ran into the main fermentation tank. So we had to unfortunately rip out that uh, brewery room, microbrewery room, which I know a lot of people were upset about. So we were left with this space. It has two walls that are all glass exposed to the inside of the restaurant, the outside of the restaurant, and then two other walls. And we were kind of wondering what we should do with it. We can make it a wine storage room. We can make it a little retail shop. We could set it as a private dining room. And when I came back to work for my family, I was like, well, what if we show off what we do best? We use the best ingredients We make everything by hand, fresh daily. We've been making pasta since my grandfather was alive and started this business, but not many people know that or appreciate how much goes into making something that is seemingly very simple, like rigatoni. What if we shed light onto that? And that's kind of where it started. We already had all this equipment. We bought some new equipment. We were, I worked with the team in there for about three weeks every single day. Now I'm in there about three times a week, not every day, checking in, making new dishes, so on and so forth. And we opened this pasta lab. People keep asking us, when are you going to start selling your pasta? And I tell them, as soon as we get less busy, which is never going to happen. <laughs> but there's people in there eight hours every single day, two girls, and they just make pasta. That is all they do. They've perfected that craft. And it is crazy to think that we go through that much pasta in a week. I think it's about, I don't know, it's hundreds of pounds of flour every single week. So that's the pasta lab. It's a super fun adventure. If you're ever at Biravino, you'll see the pasta being made, lasagna, ravioli, malfadine, rigatoni, you name it. We're making it. One of the other wonderful things about your business is you really do a focus on education, both with your food and then also with wine. You do a lot of complimentary wine tastings. You have a series of events. And looking through it, you know, you the one that caught my eye right off the bat, as a professional in the hospitality industry, we have very similar backgrounds. I'm not the Cornell grad, but you know, I have a background in wine as well as being a chef and Sure. Uh, and I teach spirits and now I'm in a microbrewery business, but you know, 
I, I was so drawn to your November 21st event, you know, your turkey wine tasting, because I always get that question. Oh, Thanksgiving, what kind of wines do I serve with turkey? You know, and, and, and here you are, you know, doing that. I was just so drawn to that, that you do these complimentary tastings and you do these special events and that you're not afraid to go out there and, and talk to people and educate people because so many times restaurants, and I'm going to say restaurants that fail, have this feeling that if people know too much, it's bad. And mm-hmm. you embrace the, the more they know, the better. Sure. Definitely. And I think wine is an intimidating thing, specifically wine that doesn't say right on the label, this is made with Chardonnay, right? You have to know the region and where it's coming from. And then perhaps you can guess that grape variety. And it's no secret that Italian wine, and also French wine, but we only sell Italian wine, is confusing. And the only way we can do what we do every single day and be successful is if we educate our customers and teach them what they like and show them that they may like Chardonnay from California, but they will also like something similar or completely different from Italy. I think it's every single region in Italy. There's 21 of them. If I'm not mistaken, they grow wine. There's over 3000 registered varieties and more. It is an amazing wine region and people, you know, people give so much accolades to France and they certainly deserve that it, and Napa Valley as well and California as well. But, you know, uh, Italian wines and I, I'm very blessed in Pennsylvania. We have the weirdest liquor laws in the entire country. <laughs> and as a microbrewery, I have to sell only American or only Pennsylvania made products. Sure. That is my, my liquor license as a brewery. So, you know, finding wines was a challenge. And I happened to stumble upon a small company that was just starting in Pennsylvania to file for a limited distribution. And what they do is they bottle in Pennsylvania, but the wine is made aged, made and aged in Italy and shipped here in a PA where it's bottled. So it becomes a Pennsylvania. My guests go crazy because here I am, when people come into a microbrewery, nobody expects to be able to get great wine and i have a line of five different italian wines that i carry i you know i said you base i have you know just the basics i have pinot grigio i you know but i have some other great wines in there and what a fabulous thing and, and you know the the wines of italy are really something to be embraced and the thing that goes best is they pair so well with the foods of the same region exactly and i i just like to make wine approachable and fun. We always try to have a distributor or a producer or someone closely related to the winery here with us when we do these tastings because we're super passionate about it. But for them, it's like their child, these wines. So they're even more passionate about it. And it's really cool to have that interaction between winemaker and customer or between distributor and customer to kind of shed light or open up this crazy world of wine to our customers who in the end of the day, they mean the most to us, especially in this industry. So the restaurant itself, and, and, you know, you obviously specialize in great pasta and I'm going to give our listeners a couple accolades. Um, you know, recently you were, uh, 
you know, listed as one of the 11 greatest restaurants in Red Bank, New Jersey, which is actually a great hub of restaurants. So, you know, you may not have heard of that area, folks. It's kind of like South Philadelphia. It's a great restaurant hub. So Red Bank, New Jersey. But one that I loved that came out of a radio station in New Jersey, uh, it was actually 101.5, is make this the one Italian restaurant in New Jersey you eat at. And looking through your menu and seeing the simplicity of it, but the, you know, the flavors that went along with it and, you know, having a great burrata, having, you know, just some other basic things on the menu, but all made with love and attention. I can see all that. And now I understand you recently added the beer garden as well. Is that correct? Yes. So the name beer garden is a little bit confusing. I think for the average person, we just actually renamed it to the Piazza to be more in line with our, I guess, Italian heritage, but it's our indoor outdoor space. So it's four seasons heated in the winter with walls and a roof in the summer, those walls come down and it's our all fresco dining in the summer. We have live music most nights of the week. It's a great space. We do a lot of private events and parties in it. Personally, I love dining out there better than inside of the main dining room, but people have been loving it. I think people like dining outside. <laughs> I, I would agree. I would add what's better on a, on a beautiful evening in the spring, summer, fall than, you know, dining out fresco and having a great glass of wine and just a pasta dish that is handmade. I mean, what, what really says, you know, love and, and, you know, enjoyment better than that. And it, it, it's really that simple. Exactly. Not much. I would agree. So another thing I really want to touch on and, and your role with and, and you're something I, I believe you're passionate about, you know, Red Bank, as I was joking earlier before our listeners got involved, is this, you know, hub of, you know, active, socially responsible, community supportive organizations. Uh, you know, everybody knows uh, John Bon Jovi's restaurant and, and what he does there. But you are a really big supporter of an organization called United Vines, which is all about wine, but all about social activism as well. Can you tell our listeners, uh, you know, how you got started in this, what the, you know, what your roots were and, and then what the organization does as well? Sure. So, um, United Vines is actually a brainchild of myself and my older sister, Eli Rollo. Um, it started, I believe in 2018, if I recall correctly, my sister is huge into social justice as am I, she's a writer and a journalist. So it makes sense. (laughs) Um, one day she called me and she was like, I have a crazy idea, but I don't know who to go, go to. And I'm calling you because you're my younger brother and you love food and wine. She was like, I want to start a nonprofit wine company. And I was like, okay, Eli, I don't make wine. <laughs> so that's going to be challenging. But we we brainstormed for a second and we're fortunate that we have a lot of friends in Italy, producers, distributors, whatnot, every, all tiers of the wine distribution system. We know people and, and, and very well through my father. So I was like, okay, let's call up Isabella Odero. If you're not familiar to the people out there, Odero is a very famous Barolo and Barbaresco producer in the Longay Hills of Piedmont and Barolo and Barbaresco being predominantly made with Nebbiolo. So big, gorgeous red wines from Italy. They are delicious. I highly recommend you buy a bottle if you can. Wow. 
I'm going to second that one. I, I have a couple in my wine cellar and, you know, now I decided, decided what I'm having with dinner tonight. So, so we called up Isabella. So she's part of the family. It's been a family run winery forever. And we told her I, her, her, our idea, we want to make a rosé, but a portion of the proceeds going to a various social justice cause each year. We chose rosé just because of its marketability to younger generations and also older, but specifically capitalizing on the younger generations that are willing to spend money on a good product and also raise awareness for various social justice causes. And we asked her for a recommendation of who she thought could private label the wine. And she was like, look no farther, further, I'll do it for you. The first vintage, it was kind of like an experiment. They never made rosé before. And they were using that, they were vinifying Nebbiolo in a rosé style, which is not that common. So we weren't really sure what to expect. That first year we called the bottle GRL or girl, and it was raising money for women's rights and advocating for women's rights. And we donated a majority a portion of those, those proceeds. And the wine was fantastic. And it just kind of have, has gone from there. Every year it's limited release. There's not a lot of cases. They're sold through our restaurants because we have our retail licenses allow us to sell wine out the door. So they're exclusively sold through our restaurants. Our most recent vintage last year was called, so it went towards um, the LGBTQ plus community. And every year it changes and our tagline is kind of sip and join the revolution. So in every glass, there's an active um, form of resistance, if you will, or or an active statement to helping build a better future. And it's all through a beverage that I think is widely consumed across the world that many, many people like. And I, it's just like a fun passion project that we've developed and done each year. The great cause. And, and I do, uh, I, I know enough about your organization to, you know, really my, my actually as embarrassing as it says, my young daughter turned me on to it. Um, and then you know, heard about it some more and, and things like that. And something I was like, wow, what a great thing this is. And, and what an opportunity for holiday gifts and things like that. Hey, you know, something to consider about making a difference and helping people out and do all that. So what is next for your vision? You are a visionary. Your father is certainly a visionary. You know, what is next uh, for Red Bank or, or even beyond? For sure. I mean, I have some projects in the work. I I love to keep myself busy. My father loves to keep himself busy, always trusting ourselves to grow and do something bigger, greater, and better than we're doing every single day. So we have a restaurant in Rumson, New Jersey, opening hopefully just at the turn of the new year called River Point Inn. We're partnering with uh, Chef Josh Lorano. He kind of grew up in the New York City restaurant scene when he was in kitchens. He's highly acclaimed very, very successful, incredibly talented. He's going to be a huge player to the piece of that puzzle. I will be moving over to there once that restaurant opens. I developed the entire beverage program. It's all French. So we are challenging ourselves in that aspect that there will be no Italian wine on the list. French, some California, a little bit of Oregon, but predominantly Bordeaux, Burgundy, Burgundy, Laura Valley, Alsace, and Rhone. So we will be embarking on that journey come the turn of the year. And I'm super excited about that. We're also looking into Jersey City 
uh, some opportunity to expand one of our concepts, Pasta Vino, there in the future. There's a lot of great development going on there. So that'll be exciting. But I think for me, it's just looking at ways that we can continue to really provide hospitality and unite people through food and beverage and give them the experience that my grandfather started giving to people many, many, many years ago that I unfortunately never got to witness really with my own eyes as he passed when I was two. But I get to witness every single day through what my father does. And for me, that's my goal just to share my passion of hospitality and food and beverage with others in any outlet or in any form possible, whether that be a new restaurant in New Jersey or a new restaurant across the country. Who knows? We're always excited for new opportunities. Well, I salute your passion. It's amazing. And it's actually very heartwarming. Um, in our last you know, 45 seconds or so, tell our listeners where they can find your restaurants, where they can find you on social media. Yes. So our restaurants, you can find them all online. So biravino.com, undicirestaurant.com, pastavinosi.com, riverpointin.com. Um, all those websites are basically the same Instagram handles. If you search any of them, they will pop up. So feel free to look, feel free to come visit, say hi to me making pasta on the floor, managing, running around, doing something crazy. Cause we all know in the family business, that's the name of the game, but um, it would be a pleasure to meet any of you out there, any of your listeners, both of you, if you ever want to stop by, please do. And I'd be more than happy to welcome you all with open arms into our restaurant, which for me is my second home. Thank you so much. I, I am truly, when I say it, I don't want to sound condescending, I'm, I'm much older than you, but um, the passion you have for your, you know, what your father showed you and then the spirit of your grandfather comes through so much in all you talk about and your love of the hospitality injury. And it's what I have. I grew up in, and it's part of my blood. And you know what? It's just you give so much hope to the generation that I'm from about the continuance of this industry. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Our pleasure. Thank you, Jake. And we will be right back after this short break. Join us on Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from top industry leaders to startups and the farmers who make it all possible with co-hosts Jean Blum and Amaris Pollock with original episodes that debut every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on WWDB 97.5 HD2 and at www.dbam.com and on your smart speaker. Welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. And I am speaking on behalf of Mainline Today's Restaurant Week. That's right, everyone. One of my favorite things on the face of the earth is happening. It is two weeks, 14 days of dinner and lunch specials that are happening in and around the Mainline in the suburban areas. I love this period of time. So it is the fall season. So look for all kinds of things that are going to be fall celebrations as far as the menus are concerned. 
But what I love about it is you can make a reservation at places that are a little higher end in and around mainline, which if you know the mainline, there's tons of shopping, tons of things to do surrounding the restaurant scene. So it's a fantastic time of year, but for between $25 and $30 for lunch and $30 and $50 for dinner, you get to go in with your reservation and choose from a prefixed menu. So I have actually so like gone and eaten at several of the different restaurants that are participating, which this season it's as of yet, you know, 44 restaurants that are participating this this round. Um, they can add on to the different restaurants, can join throughout this 14-day period. So you never know if there's something new happening. So always check back to mainlinetoday.com to find out the participating restaurants. But some of my favorites and some of the places that I've been to, um, more recently, actually, I went to Amada, which is in Radnor. Um, the Amada Radnor, it offers tapas and paella and, you know, there's cocktails, obviously. You have, it's by the Garces Group by Jose Garces. Um, I've eaten there and had their paella. It's very good. I, I've I've had paella from other places where they kind of laden it with like butter or, you know, too much broth. And it, this is paella that to me harkens back to how I had paella when I was in Spain. So for me, I was just like taking, taking a trip back to Spain. And so I loved it. So that, that's one of the places that's, you know, participating this year. I want to also mention the fact that White Dog Cafe, they have several locations that are participating because there are several locations within the mainline area. And every time I've eaten at a White Dog Cafe, Jean, I know you have too. Um, I've never been uh, like, I've never been dissatisfied. I love everything that they offer. Um, they, they have an eclectic menu where it is... Um, it you know you can get anything from seafood to like your your salads to like your basic proteins to vegetarian food everything that they've ever offered has been delicious so i'm looking forward to their their menu as well as rosalie rosalie is another participating restaurant i actually have not been there um so it's one of the ones that i might check out and before we hopped on, I actually asked uh, Gene if he knew what a taste of Britain was, because that's another restaurant that I would love to check out just because it's, you know, it's not your just atypical Italian restaurant. It's not, you know, a Spanish. It's not anything. I feel like there's far and few in between British themed restaurants. So, Gene, you obviously have eaten there. What have you had while you were there? Well, uh, before I even go into any one particular restaurant, I, I, Love, you know, for people who don't know what restaurant weeks are, here's an opportunity for you to, you know, for one week. And if you do this and maybe you missed the opportunity this year, but, you know, think about this. They do them oftentimes twice a year. Do the research and, and early on, sign on to the site and look and pick three, four, maybe even five restaurants, you know, five restaurants for a couple for lunch or for dinner, you know, you're only talking, you know, 125, 150, maybe 175, you know, to try different five restaurants per person. So for relatively, you know, $400, you know, with tip, you know, you're 550, 
for a week, a couple can have, or in the course of two weeks, you know, you could try five different brand new restaurants that you've never had. You can do a lunch, a dinner. What a like wonderful way to experience the food scene at a relatively inexpensive rate. And that's what this is all about is, you know, getting people to experience what they do and to try new restaurants and to do all that, you know, and, and go that routine and, you know, really encourage our listeners to go out and support these restaurants and to, and to do this. This is true. And I mean, <laughs> I say things very quickly when I get excited. Um, Gene, you kind of slow it down and really like, you know, pull in the like importance, the important factors, which is yes, you can ex- and, and I want to add in that you can explore the areas, like not just explore the different restaurants that that are there and available and participating during this restaurant week, but also prior to going there, like look around, shop around, walk around um, the areas because the main line is a beautiful area for you to experience. Oh, absolutely. There's so much to do out of that area. There's, you know, great little farmer's markets. There's great little uh, cheese stores. There's just, you know, so much to do. Some great history. There's a lot of great parks in the area to get a little bit of outside time if you want. And the main line really incorporates such a big region as well. And that's what people don't realize. Like it kind of goes from like Valley Forge area you know, all the way down near Philadelphia and, and down near City Line Avenue, you know, when you get into that area. So it's a really big region um, for the restaurant scene and, and a lot of different things going on um, in in that. And, you know, every year it's a different lineup. It's new restaurants. They do a great job at getting the word out, promoting that. And the other thing that people don't know, these restaurants, when they do this, they really staff it so that, there's people to come and talk to you about what the restaurant does. And, you know, you can find out so much more than on a normal night, you know, because they overstaff, they look at doing it right, you know, so that they have time to talk to people and, and get involved and, you know, just answer questions. They do. Um, especially like when you, when you go into a smaller venue, they're able to do that. And, you know, even if you are, you know, unable to do that, or you want to just go in and enjoy, to enjoy yourself, it's a perfect time because you can get together with your friends. Um, you can get together for a date night. Uh, there's so many, choices on you know how to utilize this time and how to explore and support these community the community um that you know that of the restaurant world um we talk about not you know not having to worry about cleaning up after dinner like well now is the time for you to do that because not only are you going to be able to experience a delicious meal that's probably you know at least three courses, if not four, um, you, you don't have to worry about, you know, the prep work or the cleanup afterwards. And the people that are there that are, you know, serving you, like that's, that's their job. And like, obviously, you know, they, they do love their job. They do what they do because they have a heart for it. Um, and it's, it's nice to be able to help support that environment and, and, and support them in what they do. 
Agreed. And, and, you know, getting that word out for these small businesses is really uh, crucial. And, and we talk about that all the time, but, you know, I, I keep going back to, you know, what a great opportunity you want it right before the holiday season, before Thanksgiving, before we're all about to do this, you know, flourish on yourself or more importantly, if you're a couple, uh, you know, if you're married, dating, whatever, flourish on your relationship, you know, you know what, set aside a time and both of you call out work for two hours and have a lunch date and, you know, get a couple nights of dinner in and do some different things or do a brunch or, you know, do things like that, you know, enjoy that. And, uh, and be part of all that, you know. So, what's your favorite restaurants? I, you know, White Dog is certainly one of mine, and I, I love White Dog. I will, you know, I, I, I guess the ultimate thing for me as a food person is, you know, when my daughter was, you know, graduating and we were doing celebrations and things like that. You know, we chose White Dog as, you know, a location for one of our graduation dinners. So, you know, if a chef is, you know choosing a place for a graduation dinner, it says a lot. Yes, it it definitely does. And I've eaten at White Dog, like different locations of White Dog too, several times. And it's, it's a hearty meal. You're always, you know, full when you leave. And I've met the chef, spoken with the chef. He was actually on last week's show, Michael Seltzer for the Glen Mills location. And that is one of the participating restaurants, by the way. And he has a lot of heart for it. He's been with that company for a very long time through its different iterations of where it's gone, where it's been and where it's going. Something where the love of what he does and, you know, what each chef at each individual place does comes out, you know, when when they bring that plated you know, food out to you that you ordered. I definitely have to say, I really, I really do love White Dog Cafe and the different locations that, that they have all are delicious. The first time that I went to a White Dog was actually in Center City and I've loved it ever since. So that, that says a lot too. Yes. Longevity is all about it. If you can keep going back and having great satisfactory meals and enjoyable experiences and, you know, that that's says so much. I mean, you know, we all like to try new restaurants and go here and try to do the latest thing and and do all that. But you know, when you have those ones where you just, you know, what I have something special coming up, and that's where I'm going to go. And and everybody has that. You know, like White Dog is one. You know, fit or a fork. You know, Elegant's great place is another. Yes. Obviously, Vetri is you know another. There's there's so many where you just get, you know no matter what you're gonna have that amazing experience. And White Dog, uh, you know what also struck me about you know White Dog is I know the history of it going back, you know m- you know many 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 years ago as being an old you know an old head. I know you know what White Dog came from and and what it was all about. And you know so spending time you know here is. You know, there is just a wonderful thing out there. You know, ownership has changed and things have changed, but, you know, that spirit still lives on. Well, thank you so much, Amaris. It's always a great pleasure. So as everybody is listening, you know, our show today has been filled with a lot of really great things. Um, One of them that I, I do want to touch on again a little bit more, you know, was how restaurants could be social activist sites and how we can make a change. And, you know, our list or our, our participant earlier on talked about, you know, how you can do that with a glass of wine and, you know, 
wonderful things like that. So I encourage everybody to look around this holiday season, this Thanksgiving, and remember those that you know are a little less fortunate or are struggling around these holidays. And what can we do as we are enjoying our Thanksgiving dinners to uh, make it a little bit more special for everybody in the world, not just those of us who are fortunate, but those of us who are less fortunate. Thank you, Gene. And on that particular note, while you're thinking about that, also think about listening back and seeing who you can support. And because we definitely brought on a bunch of people, a bunch of different foundations. So thank you for listening. And we will be right back next week with a brand new episode. To listen to the rest of Food Farms and Chefs, tune your HD radio to 97.5 WPEN HD2 or stream live from WWDBAM.com.